Live from the Old Church Concert Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. Almost 350 years ago, William Congreve wrote these lines. He said, uh, music has charms to soothe the savage breast. And I believe this is really true. When I was a little boy, one of the fondest memories I have of being a little kid was crawling underneath the baby grand piano in our living room while my mother played Schubert or Chopin. And I sat under that soundboard and had this sound descend around me and it was like being enveloped in a, in a coat of pure golden honey. Everything was perfect, everything was right. It was a, just a, a beautiful experience. And there was always a lot of music in the home growing up. There was, uh, there was dance music and show music and there was classical music, folk music. From time to time, my mother would get at the piano and gather us around and she would open up a book of folk songs and, and we would sing together as a family. And this was really extraordinary. It was one of the few times in my life as, as a kid in a family where I actually felt connected to the other people in the family. We were all doing one thing. It was, it was just a beautiful effort. My mom passed away uh, some months ago and uh, my brother wrote a letter to me and in it he said, in spite of all of the drama and all of the conflict and all of the, the brutality and all of the anger that my mother brought into the home, she did give us a great gift of music. And this was really true, she really did. It was a fabulous gift. And on the contrary, I would also like to say that in spite of the music that our mother brought into the home, she also brought a tremendous amount of conflict a tremendous amount of drama, a tremendous amount of hurt. She was really not a nice person, mostly to family. She got along pretty well with other people. <laughs> she seemed to have no compunction speaking ill directly to a person or about people. She seemed to do this with absolute impunity. She spent years and years of her life uh, estranged from various family members, not talking to them for years at a time. She would offend people so easily. She was, without a doubt, a difficult mother. Uh, when she finally reached the age of 90, she had so irreparably burnt bridges with two daughters in town right here that it was impossible for anybody to take care of this old lady when she really needed help. The uh, responsibility fell on me. It was my job. Now, this was not a blessing and this was not a gift. This was not something that I had really looked forward to at all. I might have been a favored child because I was a male. That'd be the only reason. 
but even through my adulthood, she continued to be very abusive. She would um, easily backhand anything that I had to say in terms of helping. She was um, always very willing to demean and to dismiss things that I might add to a conversation. She criticized my child rearing. She dismissed achievements that I may have mentioned to her. She was, uh, to the day she died, she was really very uh, uh, abusive. Basically, as people say, she didn't give a rat's ass what people thought or about her. The only thing she was concerned about was that she looked good and people felt that she was intelligent. These were two important things to her. Now, I don't really want to speak ill of the dead, so I... <laughs> I, I, I guess I've done that, but I also want you to know that this is really something that's coming from me. This is something that I'm opening my heart to you guys about uh, because it's important to me. And so at the age of 90, she really had burned all of her bridges. She was a very lonely old lady and she was in a great deal of pain. Now, I sort of felt like maybe this was an opportunity for me to set the cosmic balance of love kind of even, straight. Like here was this woman who had no maternal, really deep maternal instinct. She had no warmth. She was abusive to all of her children. And I thought, well, maybe by being a good son and responsible and helping her out in her old age, this would kind of set the balance straight. It would, it would help the world. Um, it would help me. So um, this is how I undertook the job. It was not done for love. It was done because it needed to be done. It was almost like it was of biblical proportions. It was something that had to be done. So the last couple of years that she was alive, she, she died at the age of 98. The last few years that she was alive, I put her in an assisted living facility in my neighborhood so that I could get to see her easily. And I would often ride my bike down to the place. So one day, this is about six months ago, I rode my bike down to the assisted living and tied it up, locked it up. And I walked up to her apartment and I knocked on the door, which was just customary, but it was always unlocked anyway, and I opened up the door. And much to my surprise, there's this jazz is just playing as loud as it could be. There was, there was, I'd never heard any music in that apartment playing so loud. And the odd thing was, was that she was usually sitting in this, uh, big black lift chair and she'd be all hunched over with the New York Times and she'd be reading the Times from cover to cover. Of course, you could ask her, what's new today, mom? I, I don't know, nothing. And um, it, because it sort of went in and out, but that was her custom. That was something that she did. And of course, while she was reading, she would be listening to classical music or to jazz, which she loved equally. She wasn't in the chair. And I, I was stunned by the volume of the music. So I walked in, I took a step into the room, and I said, Mom? No answer. And I took another tentative step into the apartment. I said, Mom, are you there? No answer. 
Well, I didn't want to like walk in. I thought maybe she was in the bathroom and I didn't want to intrude. So I uh, just took a little peek and, and into the bedroom. And at the, in the bedroom, I could see the foot of the bed and I see her two feet under the blanket sticking straight up. And I walk in a little further and I see her lying on the bed in perfect repose with her hands clasped over her chest. And I cannot see any breathing. There's no movement in the chest, no movement in the rib cage. And I'm thinking, wow, she finally did it. She, she turned on the jazz as loud as she could, something that she enjoyed, and she's sailed on out. And, and I felt kind of a sense of relief, but I thought maybe I really shouldn't feel so relieved. <laughs> and I walked over to her, and I looked at her, and I see that her eyes are wide open, which really spooked me. And her eyes are transfixed on the ceiling. And I lean over her, and her eyes don't move. And I say, Mom? And she suddenly flicks her eyes over to where I'm at, and she gets me in focus and says, Oh, hello. I said, I, I was somewhat relieved, actually, at that point. And I said, wow, Mom, you, you really have great taste in music. This is fabulous stuff that you're listening to. And she says, yes, yes, it's very good. And I turned the radio down because it was so loud. And I tried to engage her in conversation, like, you know, have you been out of bed today? Because this was unusual. This was sort of towards the end of her life, and she was spending a lot of time in bed. Have you been out of bed? Uh, have you had breakfast? Have you had anything to drink? Have you gotten any mail? Did you read the paper? What's new in the world? Um, and everything I asked her was uh, answered with a very laconic no. And, you know, kind of a droop down in the, in the, in the lips, a sneer. And uh, I realized there was this dark, darkness around her, that there was this aura of, of, of sorrow. And I started to feel like this was, this was not really where I wanted to be. And then she continued. She started to volunteer some information. Mostly it was about how awful the people at the assisted living are. They don't really take care of her very well. And how awful it is to be alive, to be alive at, at such an old age, to, to have lived this long. This is a terrible thing. And she's going on and on, and I'm, and I'm, I'm feeling really this tremendous sense of conflict because I've been here before with her with, at this place, and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't want this. I, this is not my problem. She spent an entire lifetime, you know, alienating herself from people and generating this tremendous loneliness for herself. She really was a very sad old lady. And it's not my problem. I'm not going to get sucked in because the thing is, it was already my fault that she was in this place, right? Because I put her there. And what am I going to do to make it better? Nothing. Experience had taught me that there was nothing I could do to make her feel any better. So I'm contemplating a quick exit. Like, well, nice to see you, and I'll catch you later. And suddenly, <laughs> I hear this little piano riff on the radio. It's Ruben Gonzalez with the Afro-Cuban All-Stars. And he's playing this music, and, I, and I'm 
sort of stunned by hearing this, and I let this sound wash over me, and, I, and I'm trying to be open to something, something that I didn't really understand, something new, maybe dealing with something differently. And I just had this impulse. I walked over to the radio, and I turned the volume way up. I turned it way up. It was louder than it was when I walked into the room. And this is great music. This is fabulous salsa. And I start dancing. And I'm dancing, and I'm saying, oh, mom, you listen to the best music in the world. This is fabulous stuff. This is so great. And she says, yes, yes, this is pretty good. And I said, Mom, this is great music. And all of a sudden, she throws her arms up in the air. She's flat in the bed. And she throws her arms up in the air. And she starts waving around these skinny, bony arms with skin hanging down and bony fingers. And she's waving them back and forth in time to the music. I mean, perfectly in time to the music. And we're dancing, and I start shouting to her, you know, Arriba, mama, arriba, way to go, way to go. And we're dancing. We're, we're, we're dancing. We're having a fabulous time. Two and a half, three minutes go by. The music stops, and I go, and I turn down the radio, and I sit down next to her. I say, wow, mom, that was really fantastic. She says, oh, yeah, that's the greatest stuff. That's the greatest stuff. I said, yeah, it is. It's the best music. I said, hey, how about a drink? You want some juice? She says, yes, that would be nice. And I said, great, and how about a bowl of cereal? Would you like something like that? She says, oh yes, that would be very nice. So I go into the little kitchenette and I get her a bowl of cereal and cut some banana on it, and bring it over to her and she says, uh, help me up in the bed, you know? So I put some pillows behind her and I crank up the bed and I give her the bowl of cereal and She's beaming. She's having a, a really nice time. And I say, well, Mom, what are you going to do the rest of this day? And she said, well, I, I, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. I'm going to sit in a chair and read. And tonight at dinner, I'm going to make sure that they take me downstairs to the dining room. I, I, I want to get out of the apartment. I said, that's great, Mom. That's fabulous. I'm, I'm going to head home myself because I want to go home and, and fix dinner with my sweetie and have a, have a good evening, and I'll see you next time. And she says, oh, okay, thank you. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Six weeks later, she was dead. And I've often mused on this, that as long as I live, I am going to take her narcissism to the grave with me. I'm going to remember the things that she did. I'm going to remember the five attempted suicides. Five attempted suicides. She didn't really want to go. She just wanted attention. I'm going to remember all the brutality that she heaped upon me and upon my sisters and upon my brother. I'm going to remember the things that she did to separate herself from other family. And, you know, I'm going to try to find continually some compassion for this woman who was really, really a very lonely and troubled soul. And at the same time, I'm going to remember forever those moments, those few moments of 
dancing with her, when she was able to shed that terrible dark malaise and I was able to get rid of that conflict within myself and the resentment and the anger I had for her for putting me in that position and that those few moments of eternity where we were dancing we were that was our last dance together our dance with the Afro-Cuban all-stars 